If you're bored in the house during this quarantine, why not play with your balls? Our sponsor today is Manscaped. They are here to make sure your balls are smooth while you or your partner are playing with them. Manscaped promotes clean hygiene when it comes to shaving your balls thanks to their new Lawnmower 3.0. The upcoming presentation is a two-man power trip of wrestling podcast production. What's up, guys? It's the phenomenal AJ Styles. You're listening to the Two Man Power Trip. Hi, folks. I'm WWE Hall of Famer Hacksaw Jim Duggan. If you'd like hearing knock knock jokes or jokes about your grandmother, go somewhere else. Oh! Oh my God! This is Joey Styles, and you're listening to the Two Man Power Trip podcast. This is Cody Rhodes, and you are listening to Two Man Power Trip. Good. How you doing, Chad? Hey, Johnny. Cool, man. What's going on? We ready to go or what? Okay. This is a uh, special visitor, the hardcore legend, Mick Foley. It was a very rough feud to go through with Rick. It was a very bitter feud, too. He certainly didn't like me at that time. And I didn't like him, and we were both trying to be at the top. I don't do many wrestling shows anymore, probably because I'm a bit ignorant. You guys probably know ten times more than I do. Look, Mean Gene, I can't be beat. I'm the greatest of all time. And I would say that. And every kid up, they knew they could kick the shit out of me. At this point, well, I'll be at a signing, and little kids will come up to me and throw up the click sign or talk about, oh, your ladder match with Sean at WrestleMania 10. I go, wait a minute, you weren't even a glimmer in your dad's eye. But yeah, bro, it's really flattering and, and amazing and humbling. Great talking to you guys. It's been your pleasure. <laughs> They've worked in and around the wrestling business. They've studied thousands of hours of wrestling, and now they bring to you the greatest legends, Hall of Famers, creative minds, and both current and future stars of pro wrestling. They are Primetime Pod and Chad, the two-man power trip of wrestling. It was a game plan here by the Midnight Express to attack him right at the bell. Wanting to take some of that momentum that this Rocket Roll Express has developed. Cornette has his team prepared, David. Yeah, he does. He's tried to injure the Rock and Roll Express several times. First with that tennis racket. Hello and welcome to another episode of the two-man power trip of wrestling. I am JP, 
John Paz, and today's episode is brought to you by Manscaped. Check out later on in the show where Chad will give you more information on where to go on Manscaped.com to get yourself a great discount and some free shipping. Yes, so that is Manscaped.com, and this is quite an episode we have for you today on the flagship series. Guy, I've been dying to get on the show for a, a very, very long time. A guy personally, who I've got to know super, super well, and, and he always jokes around that we've gone to war together, gone to battle together uh, against some airlines when we did some bookings together down uh, in Virginia and, and had to deal with some stuff. So, whew, man, we did go to war together, and uh, after it was all said and done, it was quite a uh, quite a great friendship and quite a great bond I was able to have with Mr. Condry, and we've uh, been pretty much buddies ever since. We, we always you know, chit-chatting, uh, texting, or whatever always kind of connecting so really really cool to kind of have that relationship and when you're a big fan and i know uh, dusty Rhodes once said you're not a fan baby you're not a mock baby you're a wrestling historian so i, I said okay you know I'll, I'll take that but it really in, in the heart of things definitely just a huge huge wrestling fan and when you, you know you kind of sitting there and you start the podcast and you start doing all these different things you don't kind of think oh wow i'm going to become friends with this wrestler going to become friends with that wrestler i mean these guys were gods to me and, and gods to a lot of wrestlers fans and almost like untouchables and then you realize well they're just you know guys like you and me they're just you know everyday cool guys Dennis Condry loves himself some Alabama college football loves doing that so you know it's just one of those things you know they're guys just like you and me so it's awesome to kind of years later become great friends with them and the relationship I have with uh, Dennis Condry is, is pretty surreal if you think about it I mean I always think about the the legendary Midnight Express and arguably the greatest tag team of all time whether you want to say Bobby and Dennis or or Bobby and Stan, and Midnight Express is always thought of as one of the greatest tag teams of all time. And we do call, talk about in-depth everything you want to know from A to Z. Midnight Express, Jimmy Cornette, Bobby Eaton, Randy Rose, a little Norvell Austin thrown in there, Bill Watts, Mid-South. We go into the whole gamut of the history of the Midnight Express. We go through the whole gamut of Dennis's career, really. I mean, we really go pretty in-depth in this interview I just absolutely love it. It was quite a quite a blast and quite a, a turn down memory lane as we talk about so many kind of different topics, whether it be the feud against the Road Warriors, the feud against the Rock and Roll Express, the Fantastics, the Kansas Jayhawks for a minute. I mean, there's just so many different things that we talk about and th- something that's not really talked about a lot or not really said too much i know it's out there in the story but not from dennis himself is the story of going to the wwf and the heat it kind of caused with vince mcmahon and obviously the heat it caused with dennis and jimmy Cornette, and bobby eaton and maybe dusty Rhodes and jim crockett so we go into that whole story in depth and that is really really good stuff i, I was kind of enthralled by that that's just so interesting to me because it's one of those things like imagine who fantasy booking imagine the midnight express in the wwf in 1987 against the Rockers, the Hart Foundation, the British Bulldogs. I mean, we saw the great matches they were able to have in the NWA, JCP, Mid-South, World Class, so on and so forth. But imagine them in the WWF at that time period. It would have been absolutely amazing. And then eventually maybe against like the team like Demolition, and then kind of uh, could have been down the road again, another like nice little feud with LOD, a.k.a. the Road Warriors. But... Um, it wasn't to be, and obviously Dennis had a few exits from NWA slash WCW that we will talk about on this interview. We will talk in depth about the Road Warriors and the infamous scaffold matches and how it was kind of Dennis's fault and his idea. So that's such an interesting part of the story as well and great part of the interview. 
of course, we talk about a lot the Rock and Roll Express and how the Midnight Express were basically married to them for five years, how big of a draw they really were, how kind of taking over a big man's territory was shocking back in the day as they kind of infiltrated Mid-South and really took it over and became the number one draw in town and then got the interest of Jimmy Crockett and Dusty Rhodes in JCP, and the rest is history. But I don't want to go on too too much about this interview because it's a good one it's a long one it's got some good length to it and i think you really really are going to enjoy it speaking of enjoying it we've got so many different things going on on the tmpt empire we've got shane douglas on vince russo's brand we've got dr tom on the on the empire on the tmpt uh, empire station on on the uh, the automatic feed if you will you've got dutch mantel over on the MLW network, and we've got some other things coming up for you that haven't been announced yet, but please stay tuned later on in the upcoming weeks as we will have more and more going on and happenings with TMPT as we're heading on another show in the not-so-distant future, so definitely keep an eye out for that. And, of course, I failed to mention on Podcast One, Rick Bassman's Talking Tough, which is a great show as well. So, Sit back, relax, and enjoy a little Dennis Condry. But first, let's hit you with a little bit of two-man power trip of wrestling business. And now for some TMPT business. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Two Man Power Trip and at Wrestling Pal. Subscribe to us on YouTube. Also, subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts. Please leave us a review. We would love to hear your feedback. Check out the feed for awesome past episodes, including Bruno San Martino, Sean Mike, Dusty Rhodes, Jerry Lawler, Terry Funk, Goldberg, Ray Mysterio Jr., Arn Anderson, Glenn Kane Jacobs, and so many more. While you're on the web, visit ProWrestlingTees.com. Yes, that is ProWrestlingTees.com. Visit our store, visit JJ Dillon's store, Francine's store, and of course, the franchise Shank Douglas store. For all you Android users out there, find us on Google Play and Player FM. For all you iOS users, check us out on TuneIn Radio, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Podomatic, and now Stitcher. And of course, check out the Empire. Yes, that is the TMPT Empire now. TMPTEmpire.com for all the latest and greatest on the two-man power trip of wrestling. And now, a former WCCW Mid-South AWA and NWA World Tag Team Champion. He's from the legendary Midnight Express. He is the lover boy, Dennis Condry. Please enjoy.
Joining us on the line right now is a former world-class tag team champion, a former Mid-South tag team champion, a former AWA tag team champion, of course, a former NWA world tag team champion. You may know him as one of the Midnight Express. He is the lover boy, Dennis Condry. Dennis, welcome to the two-man power trip of wrestling. Thank you so, so much. I really do appreciate it. Now, what in the world have you been up to? I mean, obviously kind of out of the limelight, but still doing appearances and shows. But what have you been up to? Man, I tell you, it's been kind of busy, to be honest with you, John. Uh, over the last few months, it's my life has been turned upside down. I, I just can't believe these fans still remember us from 35 years ago. Oh, yeah, big time. So getting out there, doing a lot of the uh, conventions? Doing a lot of conventions, uh, but the fans are, are – I'm telling you, they're they're wonderful. They're great. I I never thought that they would want to care anything about us, but they really do. They really do. I've got texts. I've got emails. I've got. I'm talking, John, thousands of them. It's unbelievable. They love the lover boy. I love them. I really do. You know, I could understand it if I was a baby face back in the day, and them caring. But it's all the bad stuff that me and Bobby and, and Jimmy did to those, those people back then, and they still love you, that's unheard of, John, for me. It's definitely a different time. They respect the heels. You know, they they love the heels, which is shocking. It is shocking, especially some of the stuff we did. You know, we did some bad stuff, John. We did a lot of bad stuff. Oh, I know. Crazy, crazy stuff. I just love kind of, if you talk about like the Midnight Express, I love the pairing of you and Bobby and Jimmy Cornette. I mean, it's just kind of the, the perfect trio. You said you guys did a lot of bad stuff, but you think that's like the perfect mix, Midnight Express-wise? Do you, I mean, you love that kind of grouping? I did. I love those guys like brothers, but, you know, I think a lot of Stan Lane. Me and Stan Lane was teamed up in 1980 in Atlanta, and we were a pretty good team then, too. So, you know, he added a lot to it when I left. I love him. I love Bobby and Jimmy. I'll fight for him right now. Hey, you team with Stan in 1980. Interesting. What was, like, what was that like with Georgia Championship Wrestling? Yeah, and what happened was I was there when I heard that uh, TBS was going to 50 states. I said, Dennis, you got to get your butt down to Atlanta. So I went down there, and I'd been there about probably a year. And Stan came in, and I was there as a single. So when Stan came in, they put us together. And we rocked on for another about a year. Didn't even realize it because, you know, everyone always thinks Bobby and Stan or Bobby and Dennis. They don't think of Dennis and Stan. That, that's quite the combination there. Yeah, we, we had a good time. We, we, were, we didn't have a manager. And, you know, we got to talk and say what we wanted to say. Nothing against Jimmy. But it was just wonderful. And, you know, I've had great partners in my whole life, John. I've had David Schultz. I've had just wonderful Phil Erickson. I've had wonderful partners my whole damn career. Always were blessed. Always um, definitely blessed as far as that department. Did you enjoy tag more than singles? Because it does seem like you mentioned like having a lot of good tag team partners, but it just does seem like it, tag teams kind of maybe suited you better. But did you like tag team wrestling over singles? Yeah, I love tag team better myself. It was just, you know, to be a real successful uh, single guy, you got to have big Big muscles, you got to be big. And, you know, me and Bobby were, I was like, at my top was 250, you know, but I usually only got around 240. But in order to be a good single, you got to be, you know, a big guy. That's true. And tag team necessarily did not need to be. 
But is something about tag team wrestling kind of suit you? So not size wise, but like wrestling wise, did you enjoy kind of being able to put the match together with four guys instead of kind of putting it together with two guys? I sure did. And you know, the thing about tag team is you'll get to get out of the ring every once in a while and get your breath. Hmm. Where as a single, uh, not so much. That that is a good point too. You don't even kind of think about that. That's like kind of like kind of a, a funny point, but you don't even pay attention to it. And you know, another thing, John, with me, Bobby, and, and Jimmy, I told those guys when we got together in '84. I said, "Look, guys, our deal is we're going to sell excitement. We got to make them excited, and we got to do things that excite them." And uh, you know, it just came together. I'm just I've been so blessed my whole career, my whole life. You know that that sounds funny when you're talking to a guy that does not have a voice box or vocal cords, but has a device down his throat that still lets him talk. But I feel blessed, and just the way it is, I feel blessed. And I'm blessed that you're uh, giving me the time, considering, you know, with the voice and everything. So I am honored to have you on. It's just uh, awesome that you would do this. Oh, I love you guys up there. I love all you guys in Virginia. You know them guys in New Jersey? I love them all. I love you guys. Thank you. We love you, too. You are the man. And it's awesome kind of, like, reminiscing with you. And like you mentioned, like you just say, 1984, you want to sell excitement with the Midnight Express. But how did you guys get together in 84, the the pairing with you, Bobby, and, and Jimmy? Well, you know, I'm going to make a long story short. Mm-hmm. I was in Memphis, Tennessee one night. Bobby was in the territory, but we weren't teamed up. And all of a sudden, Jerry Jarrett, you know, the owner of uh, Mid-South at the time, he came and said, Dennis, I need to talk to you. I said, okay. So we went in a little, a little room, and Bill Watts came in. And he said, Dennis, Bill Watts wants you and Bobby to come to Mid-South and work for him in Oklahoma. I said, well, I said, I don't know. He said, we need to find your manager. I said, okay. And he said, how about Jimmy Hart? I said, well. I'm open for whatever y'all want to do. He said, well, what about Jimmy Cornette? And Jimmy, you know, was really, really, he was a photographer, for God's sake. Mm-hmm. But I had heard him do interviews, and I said, well, you know, Jimmy might work out. I said, look, I'm going to leave it to y'all because I love both of those guys. I, I think the world of both of them. And they came up with Jimmy Cornette. Love it. What an ingenious kind of thought if you just look back and think about it. Perfect, perfect pairing. One of the greatest tag teams. A lot of people say the greatest tag of all time. And obviously, Cornette playing a big role in that. Him being such a great heel. Did that really kind of help you or almost hurt you in a certain sense where you had to worry about like getting an attack from fans? I mean, we fought every night, John. I mean, I mean, I know a lot of guys have probably told you that before. We fought every night to get back to the dressing room. Every single night for a year and a half. Is that a scary kind of uh, proposition for you or, or are you you're kind of expecting it or, or ready for it? You know what? If this is going to sound stupid, but I kind of look forward to it and I told Bobby, I said, look, say something. Don't burn all your energy because we got a hell of a fight going getting back to that dressing room. So I would say something. And I told them guys, I said, look, when I take off, y'all fall in behind me and don't stop for nothing. We got to get to the dressing room. And a lot of nights, all the baby faces had to come out and help us get back. The guys we just hmm. beat up had to help us. <laughs> now, is that weird or what? Yeah. yeah. What a what a strange uh, world the wrestling world is when you think about it with the heels and the faces like that and kind of protecting themselves from the fans who were the paying customers. It's, it's such a weird, wacky business. I've been cut. I've been stabbed. I've had my new Corvette, which was yellow, painted black. While I was in the in the ring, they spray painted it black. I've had everything could happen, happen. Is that one of those things you kind of take as like a, a shield of honor kind of thing, or or you get mad when you know your Corvette oh, is ruined or something like that? You tell me I'm doing my job. Hmm. And you know what? I'm I'm a little weird anyway, but I always did like to fight. 
So it didn't bother me whatsoever. But poor old Jimmy, I tell you, Evan, you wouldn't believe some stuff that what the fans did to him, John. They beat him down one night. Me and Bobby got mazed in the face by the policeman. So we got mazed. And when we ran back to clear our eyes out, we came back and Jimmy was down. And about 10 guys was kicking him. Oh, my God. Young said, we couldn't help it. And the police mazed us. We had a full-fledged riot. And the cops turned on us, the cops that were supposed to get us back to the dressing room. Wow. You're in there, and you're, you're, you were cornet or something. I mean, that's crazy. Kind of scary. Yeah, it was. It is now. I think about so much stuff now. It scared me. But back then, oh, man. I'm telling you, there's something wrong with me. <laughs> hey, that's why you're, uh, you're, you're the lover boy. I mean, uh, you're an eccentric character, for sure. Thank you very much. That means a lot to me. Coming from you, anyway. Yes. Now, the thing with when you guys get together, obviously you guys are great heels, doing a great job, but you need baby faces to wrestle. And it was the perfect feud that set the territory on fire. You guys in a big man's territory like Mid-South, and Bill Watts' territory, which was known for you know, Arnie Ladge and Bill Watts himself and, like, the, the big guys, you guys, the Midnight Express and the Rock and Roll Express, Ricky Morton and Robert Gibson, you guys became the main eventers, and you guys sold out all these shows, and you guys really tore the houses down. What are your thoughts on the Rock and Roll Express? I think they're great, John. I really do. And to, to tell you the truth, we was actually a double, a double deal, but we didn't know it at the time. In other words, we was going to go in, win the belts, and then I was going to bring the rock and roll in to work with us in Mid-South. One night, I'll never forget, Jake the Snake, Jake Roberts came to me. After he, he left the territory, when we got there, he left. And he said, uh, we were working Atlanta and uh, Louisiana at the same time. Mm-hmm. So he said, Dennis, how y'all doing down in Louisiana? I said, well, we're doing all right. Because I don't like to brag. And I, he said, uh, well, my last week down there, but I did good. I said, okay, good. He said, I made $1,500. I said, well, that's pretty good. He said, well, what y'all made last week? I said, well, we made five grand. And that was in the 80s. Boy, he flipped out. He said, are you kidding me? I said, no, call your daddy. His daddy was up. His daddy was down there. Yeah, Grizzly. Yep. Yeah, he called him Grizzly. Grizzly that. Everything was sold out, Jake. Every downtown been sold out. I love it. Midnight Express, Rock and Roll Express, possibly the greatest tag team feud of all time with two of the greatest tag teams of all time. Was it surprising that you guys were doing all those sellouts in that territory, especially? Yeah, because it was a big man territory. It was known for that. Mm-hmm. That's what it was known for. But when we got down there and saw the excitement, we gave them something that those big guys hadn't gave them in 20 years down there. Great match. Just matches, unbelievable match. Unbelievable matches, uh, riots. And, you know, the fans liked them rides, too. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no no doubt about that. I just love the fact that he probably didn't expect it, uh, Billy Watts, but you guys really became, you know, the, the main eventers of the town and I, I, of the territory, and I don't think that he probably expected that. Even when we left uh, Bill Watts, we'd been there a year, year and a half, we went to uh, Charlotte, you know, for the Crockett's. Mm-hmm. So yep. part of the deal was Bill Watts said, I'm not going to let these guys go unless you can send them back to New Orleans for me. I need to use them in a couple of my towns. So that was a deal he made with the Crockett's. So we were working in Carolinas and Louisiana at the same time. So we were making bundles at the time. 
which is awesome for you guys. And it kind of shows your value and your importance. So, you know, you got to pay up, you got to pay the, uh, the drawing power, the, the drawing card, you got to give them top dollar. Well, even when we left and went to the Crockett's in the Carolinas, we would go back down to Louisiana and we were still selling out and we wouldn't even on TV down there. That's that what's great. crazy about it. And of course, when you do go to the NWA or JCP or Mid-Atlantic, the Crockett's, whatever you want to kind of refer to it as, they bring in, you know, Rock and Roll Express really are going to be your kind of feud again. So you meet up with uh, Ricky and Robert yet again. We were married to those guys, John, for five years. We were married to them. It is crazy the amount of matches you had and just the amount of greatness you guys were able to do and the chemistry. Is that just a hard thing to do, like just – be married to a team for like that period of time, but to have that chemistry and, and kind of have that just all around, you know, awesome uh, matches, but just really, really getting the crowd and the drawing power. So it's like a massive thing on all scales. Yeah. It's, uh, if you've got chemistry, John, you don't have to work at it. It'll fall. The match will fall right into place. You don't have to worry. It's, it's so easy and so much fun. And it was great. I mean, I have been so blessed, so blessed. As far as that chemistry, how does like, how did that kind of come about with you guys? Just that they're great, you guys are great. Because sometimes that doesn't mesh well together, but you guys were able to mesh that well, like perfectly together. Well, the only way I know how to explain it to you really is: we were hungry, they were hungry, and we were hungry. When you're hungry, you do things that you wouldn't ordinarily do. Mm, I got gotcha. you. Makes sense. But uh, if you're hungry. Everything will fall right into place. But you can't force things. you got to let them come to you. Are you shocked that they're still wrestling today? I mean, they were NWA champions last year, so they are still wrestling in current-day wrestling. I'm going to be honest. I'm kind of surprised that Ricky is. Oh, Robert ain't all that old. Robert, well, I mean, he's old. He's probably 50. But Ricky is about 60, 65 years old. Yeah, yep. But if you're watching the matches, they're not taking no bumps. The people they're working with are taking the bumps. They're giving the bumps. Right. Yep, for sure. And Ricky Morton will occasionally pull out, like, some crazy moves out of nowhere and, like, dives and, and Canadian destroyers and things like that. But, yeah, you're right. Not really taking too many bumps. Selling, but not taking too many bumps. Right. Exactly. There's a difference, you know. Oh, big time. You know, you, you can go down and have them put the boots to you. You don't have to take no bumps. You just take down them and just sell. But, you know. Yeah, I got nothing but I got nothing but respect. I love those guys. You know, they helped us get out of a lot of jams, buddy. Oh, what do you mean by that? Well, you know, after the riots and stuff, oh, the first yeah. person I would see that would be Ricky Morton. Hey, there's a lot of those uh there's a lot of those matches after they were over. A lot of those riots. We shouldn't have got back to the dressing room. Everybody out of each dressing room had to come help us. The cops didn't even help us. The cops were mad. They didn't want to have to deal with you guys, yeah. They was like, no, y'all, uh, good luck to y'all. Jimmy Cornette cut them out one night, and uh, it didn't turn out too good for him. With, like, with the, just the craziness of JCP and, and the drawing power and the card and stuff, in the midst of that, you guys do win the NWA World Tag Team titles. Does winning the titles mean anything? I mean, to me as a fan, I always think that it's awesome, it's great, you know, tag team champ, all this other stuff. Does it mean anything to the wrestlers, like when you won the NWA World Tag Team Championship? Does that mean anything to you? Oh, of course. That's one of the best days of my life is that my three boys. You know, that's, a, that's what you work for. That's a, And plus, that's when you start getting noticed. Because I can win a belt, 
in Atlanta. And everybody across the country is going to hear about it. All the guys are going to hear about it. So the promoters, when they bring you in, you know, you're not ahead of somebody already. Good point. And, of course, you guys lose them back to the Rock and Roll Express when you guys do lose the uh, the tag tails. Kind of the the way that feud went. It, right? A little give, a little take, a little uh, winning, a little losing? Well, not what it was. If when we had the belts and the Rock and Roll couldn't win them, we started being the baby faces. Because the fans like winners. They don't like losers. And so I told them, I said, look, guys, in order for us to get some heat, we got to lose these belts. Because they were yelling for us. The Rock and Roll Express, when they got in the ring, they would take their bandanas off. And they'd throw it to the fans. Well, the fans would throw them back in the ring. I said, oh, shoot, this ain't going to work. So as soon as they started beating us, that's when we started getting the heat. Now, how do you kind of deal with that? Because you guys are supposed to be the heels, and they're supposed to stay. It's a hard thing to overcome. No, 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 no. Uh, it just depends on whoever the booker is, whatever he wants to do. I mean, you know, he's got to be a smart guy. The booker is your art. He's the art of the business, and he's got to be smart, and he's got to be well respected, or nobody listen to him. Were you a fan of Dusty booking at the time? Yes, I was. I love Dusty Rhodes and all of his boys. As far as him, you always hear stories from Rock and Roll Express saying that uh, maybe Dusty was a little jealous that they were drawing out, you know, the A-Town was out drawing the B, or excuse me, the B-Town was out drawing the A-Town. So, that, like, you guys would be in the B-Town wrestling Rock and Roll, and Slayer and Dusty would be in the A-Town. You guys would out draw him. Is, is that true that there was not animosity, but he was, like, a little upset that he was getting beat out by you guys? Dusty and Flair went to uh, some part of New York when we was in Charlotte. I forget the name of the town, but they was on top there. They left us in Charlotte with no underneath card to help. So you got, when you draw money, it ain't just one match. You got to have two or three matches on there that mean something. Well, they left us with nobody. We sold out. They did about 1,000 people. And we sold out Charlotte, us and Rock and Roll. Now, I do think, to answer your question, I do think that Dusty was a little upset over that one. Did he ever say anything to you guys about it? No, but you can tell by the actions, and then uh, it sort of seemed like he, and it's hard to word it, but seemed like he was counting down on us a little bit. That really pissed him off. Hmm. Is that why he started you guys, put you guys in a feud with the Road Warriors? Is that any coincidence? No, not really. Uh, he brought the Road Warriors in, because they were done work with Rock and Roll for a year. And then he brought in another tag team, we worked with them for two or three months, and I said, look, y'all got to get somebody in here. We done beat everybody in the territory. Y'all got to. They said, okay, Dennis, okay. You know, nobody wanted to make me mad because I cuss them out. I can't cuss them out no more. It takes me a little bit longer, but I was right. good. And when you, they bring in, or really bring in the Road Warriors, complete opposites, if you think about it, than the Rock and Roll Express. I mean, these are huge muscle bound guys, not known as being great workers, maybe being a little stiff, a little snug in the ring. What are your thoughts on the roadies? I love working with them guys. Nobody wanted to work with them when they got there. And I looked up at Dusty. I said, Dusty, put us with them. We want to work with them. Everybody was scared of them. I said, Dusty, I'm begging you. Please put us with the rope warriors. I said, we'll, we'll start this deal. We'll sell out. We'll do three, three team deals with us, uh, rock and roll, and the rope warriors. I said, I guarantee you to sell out. Sure enough, here we go. Sell out everywhere. 
you didn't mind them at all being a little stiff, a little snug, or anything like that? You were okay with it? Yeah, because I got to steal back. Yeah. I'm oh, going yeah. to chew as hard as you hit me. Were if, they, you don't, if I don't, I'm, you're pranking me out if I don't. Were they a bit green at that point? They were green. They sure was. I'm glad you said that, not me, but they were. <laughs> they were well, real green. Well, you know, you guys are kind of like the workers and, and can carry anybody, so it's hard to tell you know, that they're, they're so green when they're working with you. But, you know, from watching wrestling for so long and, and just knowing them, it's like, okay, they got to be green. You know, you guys making them look great, you obviously know that they're green, right? Oh, yeah, I'm with We knew what to do, John, and why not. But what got the road warriors off over so strong was Paul Ellering. Great manager. I, I love that guy. I think he's one of the most unappreciated managers in the business. I agree. Very underrated. Why do you think that is? Uh, he was sort of laid back and kind of quiet. Hell, if you want to get over, you got to start up some shit. Yeah, that's true. Now, as far as like getting over and, and putting you guys in a big match, just looking at the you know, the Night of the Skywalkers, the uh, Starcade 1986 scaffold match against the Road Warriors, what's it like kind of going into that? Because that's like a scary proposition in and of itself. It is, and... You know, I still keep myself in the ass to this day because that was my ideal. And I don't know what in the world I was thinking. I really don't know. And what were you that, well, I I'm not sure, John, but i tell you one thing. As I was climbing up that damn ladders to get on top of the scaffold, I felt myself every step. I said, Dennis, you stupid son of a gun, you idiot, you asshole. But I still got on top of that damn scaffold. And you knew that they weren't falling off. You knew that you guys were co- coming off, too, so that's even worse. Yeah, poor old Corny, he was scared to death because, you know, he didn't want to do it. Corny said, Dennis, I can't, I, can't, I can't fall off here. I said, okay. I said, then I got to go tell Dusty, but we got to get this straight. So we went to Dusty, and he said, uh, Dennis, you tell Corny if he don't want to fall off the scaffold, I'm going to have to let him go. I said, I'll tell him. I said, but one thing, Dusty, real quick. Why don't you go tell him? He looked at me kind of funny. So anyway, I went to Corny. He said, okay, Dennis. I said, Jimmy, this is going to be a huge, huge payoff. Because there's a pay-per-view. I said, this is going to be big. And, you know, knowing Corny back then, he didn't have the money he has today. So he said, okay, I'll drop. Oh, I ain't going to drop. That wasn't good enough. I said, well, I'll tell you what. Why don't we have Big Bubba try to get you? Big Bubba was our body, bodyguard at the time. Yep. I said, why don't we have Big Bubba just step in and break your fall? He said, excellent, excellent. I said, Jimmy, remember, this is going to be a huge payoff. He said, okay, Dennis. All right. So there you go. And the rest, as they say, is history because he falls off. Big Bubba either not paying attention or just misses him. And Cornette injures both of his knees, right? Yeah, yeah, I served on one of them. And I was watching Big Bubba because I'd already failed. And I was laying in the ring and I looked up. And as soon as Jimmy let go, Big Bubba walked off. <laughs> I like, Bubba, you just killed our damn manager. What was his excuse? He said, oh, I didn't, I didn't know y'all was going home. I said, I'll be damned. I told you, here he comes. Maybe he just didn't really want to catch Cornette. Maybe that was the issue. 
Well, now, you know, I don't want to make nobody mad if they hear this or anything, but Corny at the time was about 300 pounds. Oh, yeah, yeah, big boy. And so, you know, I can, but I told Bubba, I said, if you wouldn't go catch him, you should have damn told us. That's crazy. But it's one of those things, you know, the, almost 40 years later, whatever, 35 years later, the fans uh, will never forget that. It's still very memorable. You still see the clip all the time of, you know, him coming down. It's just, uh, you know, it's funny, but obviously extremely painful for him falling like that. Yeah, I love old Corny, but I feel sorry for him at night. I really, but not as not as sorry as I fell down in Louisiana. John, you would have had to been there. He got his head whooped every night, every night. He definitely uh, loved getting heat, but probably not a fan of the reaction to the fans afterwards. I know that. Well, I used to tell him I, I could tell by the because you know I'd been in the business three or four years longer than they had at the time. And I would tell Jimmy, I said, Jimmy, I could watch the fans and see. I said, look, Jimmy, don't hit nobody with that damn tennis racket. Don't even draw it back at nobody. Don't use it at all. If you do, they're going to kill us. John, that's a different kind of people down in Louisiana. Oh, no doubt about that. I mean, that's them damn Cajuns. They don't care. I told Jimmy, I said, you're going to keep on hitting them people with them tennis rackets? I said, we're going to be alligator bait one of these days. Right, yeah. He's lucky to get out of there a lot. I've been so damn lucky and so fortunate and so blessed. I mean, I've just been blessed. As far as the NWA and, and really, you know, the Crockett promotion and really you guys, I mean, were awesome, obviously. The Road Warrior feud we are talking about was unbelievable. The Rock and Roll Express view, just off the charts, one of the greatest of all time, not only in the NWA, but in itself. But going back to 1987, why did you end up leaving the territory? I mean, you just kind of left the promotion overnight, right? Yeah, I did, because remember we were talking earlier about the Dusty Road deal? Yes. Uh, that played into it. Plus, a lot of people don't know this, John, but I'm going to tell you and your viewers, we had an offer, a great offer that I thought we couldn't refuse. Vince McMahon had got in contact with us. He said, look, I'm going to fly you guys up. And uh, we told him, we said, well, we're not interested. We're making great money right here in the Carolinas. He said, no. He said, I can double it. And I said, okay. So we got on a plane and flew up there. Well, the Crockett found out about it, and they didn't like it. So Dudgey comes in. Want to know, okay, are y'all leaving or are y'all staying? And so we thought we did it on the sneak. We thought we were sneaking around. And that little asshole, Tully Blanchard, went out to the airport and saw us fly in. And he told us, and we made a deal with Vince while we were there in New York. And what happened? Jimmy and Bobby changed their mind. They decided they didn't want to go. I said, well, guys, y'all, I wish y'all had told me. So then could you have gone by yourself to WBF, or was it a package deal he wanted you guys as a tag team? No, he wanted us all three. No no different. I mean, it had to be us three. That's what he wanted. So when they kind of go back and you don't, is there heat on them for the fact that they had a secret meeting with the WWF? It was a heat on all three of us because I told them we was going to be there. But they was off one day in Charlotte. So we called Vince and said, okay, 
we got an off day finally. And he said, well, come on up, fly on up here with me. So we sat down with him for almost a full day. But when we left New York, I was under the impression we was going. But when we got back to Charlotte, Bob and Jimmy had changed their mind. Why did they change their mind? I have no idea. Now, could you have kind of changed your mind and, and went back with them, or were you already had your mind made up and you were leaving? Yeah, no, I'd already made my mind up. Because it's like I tried to explain to Jimmy and Bobby. We done went through the rock and roll. We done went through the road warriors. We done went through Dusty and Magnum. There ain't nobody else here for us to work with. I said, let's go to New York for a year. Then we can come back here and be over even stronger. And they agreed, but then obviously you ended up changing the mind, I guess. Yep, they changed the mind. Bobby had a couple of kids in school. Uh, just bought a house, and I just bought a house too. And I don't know. I think they, I think it scared them, John, a little bit. New York, the Southern boys, you know, it kind of scares some of us. It mm-hmm. don't scare me. Yeah, I don't know if you could see Bobby Eaton in, in the WWF. <laughs> you know, you know what I mean? He's such a yeah, guy. yeah. But um, you know, those big towns don't bother me whatsoever. So was there heat between you, Bobby, and Jimmy? Uh, I'm sure there was when I left, but. You know, uh, they did what they needed to do, and by George, I did what I needed to do. I left. Technically speaking, did you need to leave notice, or you didn't need to leave notice? Yeah, I should have left a notice, but at that point, I didn't really care. You know, I had a big old bag of damn money, and you know how that is. The old southern boy ain't never had nothing. So what's that kind of Dusty's reaction? Does he try to get in touch with you, or does Jimmy Crockett try to get in touch with you? Oh, they knocked on my door. They would come all hours of the night. I'd hear my doorbell ringing, and I'd look, peek out through the damn blinds, and there's them Jimmy Crockett or Arn Anderson or somebody. And what did you say to them? I didn't let them in. You wouldn't, already, even, you wouldn't even talk to them? No, I already had my furniture packed up, ready for it. Yeah, you all to come get it. Wow. So it, just like that, you know, obviously a huge star in the NWA and then gone just like that, got an offer from Vince. Obviously, they reneged, so kind of leaves you on an island by yourself. Were you mad at all at anybody, like, at this time? Yeah, I was. And, you know, the thing about it is I was mad not because they didn't come. I was mad because they had me tell Vince, we want to do the deal. And then they had me to do the talking. And then we get back to Charlotte, and they said, no, they changed their mind. Well, what was Vince's reaction? Yeah, they buried my ass with Vince. Was Vince, like, really mad at you? Did he no-sell it? Like, what was his response? Well, you wouldn't believe it. I called him up. He was like, GD this and GD that. I said, hold up. I said, hold up right there. You're talking to the wrong guy. I said, I'm just as bad as you can. At that time, I still had a voice box. (laughs) Yep. Did did he kind of like say, oh, you know, I had all this plans for you guys, and and we're going to do this, we're going to do that, and, you know, obviously the money, and and he said there's nothing I could do, right? Well, here's the deal. He had already lined up the very first guys that was going to get to sell dogs was going to be us. We was going to sell dogs. He already, and that's what we did. That was huge, John. That was real. That was. A lot of money there. Oh, yeah. If you ever hear, like, the stories of the guy's checks, like, 
even a guy like Hillbilly Jim, who wasn't a you know main eventer or anything, but you know big star during that era, talking about the checks that he would get from the action figures, was like, oh my god, that's more money than uh, a lot of people make in a year. Today's episode is brought to you by Manscaped. Manscaped is the only men's brand dedicated to below the waist grooming. While you're probably looking for new things to do at home, why not make manscaping a part of your routine? Right now, you're probably sitting there during quarantine looking for things to do, and so am I. So you know what I did? I made Manscaped a part of my routine, so now I'm shaving my balls during quarantine. Manscaped is forever changing the grooming name with their perfect package, the 3.0. Precision engineered tools for your family jewels. The perfect package 3.0 kit comes with the new and improved lawnmower 3.0 waterproof cordless body trimmer and a ton of other liquid formulations to round out your manscaping routine. Inside the perfect package you'll find the Manscaped crop preserver and anti-chafing ball deodorant. You're probably sitting on the couch with your hands in your balls anyway. Might as well keep them as smooth as eggs and smelling fish. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code POWERTRIP at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com. And don't forget to use the code POWERTRIP. Make playing with your balls the best part of your day. Thanks, Manscaped. So, see, we was going to be there at that time. Nobody has had dogs. We was going to be the first one to get to sell them. Now, what were your kind of thoughts as far as, like, working with the WBF? Was it, was it like, okay, Hart Foundation, Bulldogs, or you didn't even think about, like, the great teams that were there at that time? No, I didn't care because I know what we could do. That, that stuff like that never bothered me whatsoever. I didn't even think about it because I knew what me and Bobby and Jimmy could do. Man, that would have been some great fantasy matches if you think about it. Midnight Express against some of the teams at the WBF of that era would have been awesome. Well, the first first team was going to be Janetti and uh, Shawn Michaels. Shawn Michaels. That was going to be our first team. He said, y'all will walk right through them. He already had it planned out. Vince had it planned out. Wow. And after that's over, we was going to go through somebody else. And then, then guess who was coming in? The Rock and Roll Express. Huh, another, uh, another blast in the past for you guys. See, there's so... That's what really pissed me off. So then you're kind of, you know, left on an island. You don't know where to go. You end up in the AWA with Vern Gagne. You know what? He paid me. I worked three days. No, I'm sorry. I worked Friday night and Saturday night. He paid me three grand for two nights. Wow. What did you kind of think about going there after you leave with JCP? Because you do reconnect with Randy Rose and kind of the the original Midnight Express is back together. Yeah, and we had Paul Amon. Yes, exactly. Yep. Um, you know, I love Randy. Don't get me wrong. I, I love him. I really do. He's a good guy. But he ain't no Bobby Eaton. Mm, good point. And yeah, I know I I'm probably, probably going to get some heat over this, but I, I don't care. I don't know. I, I think uh, Bobby Eaton is definitely world-renowned as being um, just one of the greatest workers of all time, easily. Yeah, he is. He damn sure is. I'll be the first to admit it. Although uh, I just talked to uh, Jimmy Cornette not that long ago, maybe two weeks ago, he said you were a better worker than Bobby. And I was, I was like, wow, look at that! Strong comment from uh, Jim. Well, here's the thing. I'm just going to tell it like it is, John. Uh, Bobby was a great worker, but I had to tell him what to do. His timing—he didn't have no timing. Mm. Timing is everything in a match. 
you were a little bit older, you're the veteran kind of, you know, kind of bringing him through the ropes? Actually, Bobby, uh, Bobby started wrestling when he was about 18 or 19, and I started when I was about 22, so I had about four years on it. Uh, anybody would disagree that Bobby's a better worker than Randy Rose, but you and Randy were definitely a good tag team. And But I think you could also say that Paul Heyman maybe is no Jim Cornette, right, as far as managerial? That's true. At the time, you know, Paul has always had his own ideal. Well, that ideal sometimes don't get over with the office. They didn't. They might not want to do your ideal. And so when you keep on plugging your ideal, just to me, I call it going into business for yourself. And I told Paul one night, I said, look, they done told you two or three times, Paul, they don't want to do that shit. So don't ask him no more. Damn, he stayed on them. On them and on them and on them. Let's do this. I'm going to come out of this cell phone. First cell phone ever. I said, okay. I said, do it your way, buddy. Which was kind of a great little gimmicky thing. I mean, Cornette had his tennis racket and Heyman had his gigantic cell phone. Kind of worked for the managerial uh, guys of the day. They always had their, you know, sort of gimmick, like Jimmy Hart with a megaphone, right? They always had some sort of gimmick. Well, see, but Paul's idea was, okay, I'm going to hit you. I want to hit somebody with the phone. The phone is going to explode and we'll get disqualified and whatever. I said, no. When a manager has a gimmick and he hits you with it, we got to win. Right. We don't let the damn thing explode and do all that shit right there. Well, if you hit somebody with something, we got to win that match. Makes sense. Yeah. And you guys did have a, a pretty good run in the AWA, albeit yeah, not really but, terribly long, but it was, a, it was a good run. You won the tag titles. You beat Lawler and Dundee. Ended up losing to the Midnight Rockers, but still, it was a good little run, right? It was a very good run. And, you know, Michael told me one night, he said, Dennis, I hope you're not mad at me. I said, why would I be mad at you? He said, well, you know, we, we Midnight Rockers. We got to have your name and have the rock and roll. I said, that's a compliment. I'm not mad at that. That's a great compliment. Don't worry about that. Great tribute. He's right. I, I mean, I think a lot of people may kind of miss that or forget about that. But, yeah, it's basically a tribute, which is really cool. Yeah, they they were real cool guys. I, you know, I don't have no enemies in this business. I really don't. We're all brothers. And I, I'm going to say this one more time tonight. I have been so blessed. It ain't even funny, John. Mm. Who do you think was better workers? The Midnight Rockers or the Rock and Roll Express? Rock and Roll Express by far. Okay. By definitely, far. Uh, definitely two great teams, but I think Rock and Roll Express, uh, I don't know, to me too, I, I always enjoyed uh, them. I mean, the Rockers are great, but I always enjoyed Rick and Robert. Yeah, Rick and Robert knew. You know, Robert, everybody, Robert didn't get paid his dues. Robert was sale, sale like he was dying. And then all of a sudden he tagged Ricky, the son, here we go. We go into this big four-way and the shit is on, baby. <laughs> yeah, exactly, yep. And after the AWA, I wanted to bring this up because it's just such an interesting part of your career. You go to WCW, a.k.a. back to the NWA, and you feud with the Midnight Express, although is it really the Midnight Express? It's Bobby Eaton and Stan Lane against Randy Rose and yourself, so it's Midnight versus Midnight's. And like a big feud there, but is that one of those things where like you're really the Midnight Express or they're really the Midnight Express? Well, I like to think we was, but that old deal was when when I left Bobby and Jimmy in '87, I moved to Denver, Colorado, because I vacationed out there, me and my wife, and we fell in love with Denver. And I bought me a little horse ranch, 
you know, little boarding stables and everything. And I was walking along there one day about five or six years after I quit. I get a call from Dusty. He said, love boy. I said, yeah, that's he said, you want to make some big money? I said, yeah, that'd be nice. He said, I'm, I'm going to fly you into Austin, Texas. That's where his office was at the time. He said, we're going to sit down and talk. Well, I went down there and he said, look, we're fixing to lose the territory. WCW, WCW is going to go out of business. He said, I'm going to put Midnight Express against Midnight Express and save this territory. Well, I said, I'll tell you what I'll do, Dusty. I said, I'll give you six weeks. I said, because i got a business in Denver I'm running. He said, six weeks only? I said, yeah, we will go out and shoot an angle on TV in, in Atlanta. And sure enough, here we go. Sell out after sell out for six weeks. And then he gets mad at me because I leave. You told him you got your business going on. A deal's a deal to me, John. Yeah. I don't give a damn how, how silly it sounds or, or whatever. If I make a deal with you, I'm sticking to my deal. Was he... Like pissed at you about it, or was he, you know, understanding of the of the deal? You know, soon after I left, they sure enough lost the territory. I mean, it pretty much uh, went downhill from there. Ted Turner scoops it up, and uh, you know, becomes a WCW kind of full fledged. But it was headed towards a big money loser with uh, certain guys in charge. Obviously, uh, the wrong guys in charge. Yeah, it did. It was a damn mess. It was just really a damn mess. What it was. And I told him, I said, look, this is why I left before. I don't want to get caught up in this mess that y'all got here. I said, I'll do business with y'all. I said, but don't you know for a fact, I told you six weeks. He said, you did this thing. He said, you sure did. I said, well, I love you. I'm gone. Now, they always say that George Scott, kind of when he took over the booking, kind of like was trying to bury that midnight versus midnight future. I mean, obviously, you guys said the big match at Starkey 88, but they were saying, you know, George Scott's in – He's trying to kill the feud, and he wants to bury Is there any truth to that? No, he knew that was my deal, see. George knew that I was leaving in six weeks, Dusty told him. So what happened was they brought us in for six weeks. Mm-hmm. The, the other Midnight Express over, right? And I didn't have no problem with that. Yep. But George wanted me and Bobby and, and Paul to stay and get rid of Jimmy now. Wow. What did you say to that? No way. Yeah, my deal's deal. I'm not doing it. Yeah, I'm, my wife is running a branch while I'm in Atlanta. You know, and she's in Denver running on 30 horse ranch. I had 30 horses. Very nice. Very cool. So, I mean, I can't leave her hanging out there with two foot of snow, 30 below. Really? I mean, they do basically, a, you know, like a loser leaves town match to, and kind of saying it was going to be midnight versus midnights, and they replaced you in the match. Do you think that was weird at all? It's like, okay, um, you're still going to do the match, but without me? Yeah, because, see, I was already gone. I left a week before because my six yeah. weeks was up. Yep. But of course, they can't tell the fans that. I remember just thinking, like, this is weird. Like, if we, you know, watching the back and looking like, this is weird. Where the hell sent us? Yeah, see, I lived out of the because I made – Actually, if I'm not mistaken, I stayed seven weeks because they gave me a big payoff to stay an extra week. Did you enjoy working with Bobby and Stan? I loved it. I mean, it wasn't even working, man. It wasn't even. It was so easy and so cool. And you working with your two brothers you've been teamed up with already. It was wonderful. I've asked this question to Jimmy Cornette. I've asked this to Bobby Eaton. Who is, and they wouldn't give me an answer, who is the best Midnight Express, you and Bobby or Bobby and Stan? 
So you're asking me? Yeah. I, I, somebody's got to give me an answer. Nobody's going to give me an answer. I figure you're the, you're the most honest one. So I figure you'll give me an answer. I'm going to tell you how I look at it. And I love Stan Lane. Don't get me wrong. And Stan brought a lot to the table. A lot. But I try to understand this, John. When me and Bobby was together, and we did all those sellouts, I mean, did through all that money. To me, we had already won the Super Bowl. Me and Bobby had. Mm-hmm. So when Stan and Bobby got together, hell, me and Bobby done won the Super Bowl. Right. Um, now it's just the way I look at it. And like I say, Stan brought a lot to the table, but me and Bobby already won the Super Bowl. Right. Makes sense. I just think it was just a different dynamic. Um, you're, you were kind of like the ring general, the ring leader, and then it kind of turns into Bobby being the ring leader when Stan is there. Stan is kind of the more uh, more like a showman type. You're more like the work rate guy, right? Am I right in assessing that? You're exactly right. I wanted to get to eat. Stan wanted to dance. <laughs> nice. Yeah, okay. Gotcha. Makes sense. But I love Stan. And I've convinced Stan that long talks about this. And uh, I love him. I really do. Now, as we hit the wind-down button and head towards the finish line, you do go to CWF in Florida, the Alabama area, the, uh, the the former Ron Fuller organization, really, David Woods. And if you with Dr. Tom a little bit, you win the title. Is that something where, you know, you liked it going to, like, that Pensacola, Alabama area and you wanted to do CWF, or you didn't want to really kind of go back to JCP or do any, or, you know, anything full-time? Was that more of like a, like a part-time kind of gig? Yeah, I wanted to uh, – at that time, I left Denver. And I moved to Pensacola. Mm-hmm. And so I was right there, and, and Bob Armstrong saw me on the beach one day. He said, my God, Dennis Country, why didn't you call me? I can use you tonight in Dothan. I said, well, hold on here a minute, hot dog. I said, I don't know if I'm going to go to Dothan. That's 100 miles from here, you know, just playing around. He said, will $1,000 get you there? I said, I'll be there. Nice. Um... Yeah, that's how that started. Is that a great territory to work, though? I mean, weather-wise, travel-wise, everyone always says it's a great territory. I went there because it was short trips. The longest trip is like 150 miles. Definitely a great territory to work. If you're, great if you're, territory. I mean, you can't beat that weather either. I mean, that's the best. In fact, I got a joke coming up if they run it. I'm in Dothan in May sometime, but I doubt if they're going to run it. But I'm down there in Dothan. Last time we was there, they had, a, I think, a complete sellout. I feel like that area... It's one of those like hotbeds of wrestling that almost gets overlooked or forgotten. You know, the Armstrongs, the Fullers, Continental Wrestling, you know, Gulf Coast, whatever you want to call it. They always had a great, great, or Southeast, uh, a great, great crowd, and they were always kind of a, a, a landing spot or a destination for a lot of wrestlers. It is, but, and you know why? It's just like I said, when you've been in a territory, say Louisiana, you do 3,000 miles a week. If you want to go to a short trip territory there and rest up a little bit, and that's where everybody went to rest up. What was your favorite territory? I mean, obviously, you I mean we're talking NWA, Mid South. We didn't even mention World Class that you were. Like, what's your uh, what was your favorite territory? Carolina is where I started. The Gardens let me start there in 1972, refereeing, and I refereed for like a month. And they called for this one bump one night, and I took it one bump. And I guess I took it pretty good over the top rope. The Crockett's fell in love with me. The next week, I went from referee to a wrestler. Oh, oh, my old career to the Crockett's. That is awesome. I didn't even realize that you were a referee. That is great. 
Yeah, that's how I started in the business, refereeing. And who ended up kind of training yours when you actually, when they see you, like, look at that bump, and, like, you want to become a wrestler, who ends up training you? I reported into Ole and Gene Anderson, and they stretched my ass. <laughs> that is great. Quite a uh, group of guys there, Ole and Gene. I mean, that, that's and great guys to learn from, too, obviously. Plus, they had the Briscoes, they had Rick Flair, they had Black Jack Mulligan. Yeah, they had all of them, but Some of the greatest talents of all time to learn from. There's uh, no doubt about that. And I would watch them and just, you know, I'm I'm not, I don't want to brag, but I could always catch on the stuff pretty quick. And I watched them and I thought, I remember thinking this thought right here. I told myself, Dennis, old boy, you can do this. And I did it. Oh, and you did it uh, quite well. A ring general, uh, to say the least. Do you have... Do you have, I mean, it might be impossible to think or say, but do you have some favorite opponents or favorite matches kind of looking back? I mean, obviously, Rock and Roll Express, I mentioned uh, Road Warriors. Um, even if people remember the Kansas Jayhawks, you had some great matches. Uh, the Fantastics, can't forget them. I mean, do you have some favorite matches kind of looking back? I'm going to tell you something. I'll tell you the easiest matches I ever had was with Armstrong. I trained Brad Armstrong in Pensacola. Bob didn't want him in the business, but... They forgot to tell me, so he he pulled up one night and he said, uh, Dennis Conner, I said, yeah. He said, I'm Brad Armstrong, Bob's son. I said, yeah, I know who you are. He said, Dennis, I want to get in the business, but the only way I'm going to start is if you train me. I said, well, let's go get in the ring. Well, the next day, Bob Armstrong comes to me and he said, Dennis, can I have a word with you? I said, yeah. So I walked back in the back and Bob had this funny look on his face and I said, what's up, man? He said, Dennis, I didn't want my son in the business. I said, well, you know what? Somebody should have damn told me. Nobody told me that. <laughs> That's funny. And Brad Armstrong, if anybody doesn't realize, he's a great worker, kind of one of the most greatest underrated workers ever. And no wonder, you know, he had a great teacher. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. But Bob was pretty pissed off. I said, look, if, if, if y'all had told me, I wouldn't have trained him. I said, but I'm going to tell you something. I've been working out with him now for three weeks. He's ready to get in the ring. And sure enough, he was over better than any of them Armstrong. I agree. 100%. He was awesome. He probably was the best of the bunch, even even uh, including uh, Bullet Bob. Bullet Bob. You know, I don't know if you knew. He was a, he was a firefighter before he started wrestling. And one night, we were on the plane. And smoke filled the old cabin. There's a private plane. I got some private plane. I, I forget what we were flying to. but And so Bob freaks out being that fireman, and he starts ripping the plane apart. He starts ripping the paneling off. He starts ripping everything off to see if he can find the fire. And about that time, we turned around with Baywa. Oh, I remember that was in Vegas. So we had to go back to Vegas. And so we got there. We landed. They said, about our left, they said, okay, the plane's fine. Let's go. Got to go back to Charlotte. I said, I hope y'all don't think I'm getting on that son of a bitch. I'm not getting on that plane that was on fire 15 minutes ago. <laughs> and I didn't get on it. I stayed over and got on the plane the next day. I told, I, told, I told Bob, I said, let me get this right. Y'all just put out a fire on the plane. Now you're going to get back on it. He said, yep. I said, okay, I'll see y'all there. I love it. I I'm, love not gonna it. Get on, I'm not going to get on the plane that was on fire. Right, doesn't make sense, yeah. I mean, I ain't the smartest guy in the world. But I'm smarter than that. Right. Absolutely. Bullet Bob is a little bit of a nut. He was a son. 
Now, looking back at all those great tag partners, I mean, Stan Lane included, um, obviously beautiful Bobby. Then you got Phil Hickerson, you know, Randy Rose. You can throw in um, Norvell Austin maybe a little bit or, or Don Carson or something. But who's your favorite tag partner you've ever had? You know, it had to be Bobby. It was just so easy with us. We didn't even have to tell each other what we were fixing to do. We could just look at each other and we knew. That's unbelievable chemistry. And you guys, I mean, Midnight Express should be on everybody, which kind of uh, all, you know, good hardcore fans always say Midnight Express are on the top of their list as one of the greatest tag champs of all time. Or not tag champs, but tag teams of all time. Well, I appreciate that for whoever said it. I, I really do. But I think now uh, everything I've told you, I think you understand why not, we're not in the Hall of Fame. Now, it's I told you. I told Jimmy and Bobby, I said, look, if this is my fault, I will go to Vince McMahon and I would say, Vince, if you're mad at me for us not coming, I want you to put them in the Hall of Fame. Put them in that stand. I don't care. But I want them to be in it. And what did he say or what happened? Did that ever, uh, anything ever come of it? Not a word. Obviously, obviously not in the Hall of Fame, but did you ever hear back? Oh, they never said anything back? Never heard a word. Even J.J. Dillon, even Stone Gold. Steve Austin has been trying to get us in the in the uh, Hall of Fame for five years. That he remembers that in- incident in '87. He remembers everything. Crazy! It's crazy that, that you guys aren't in there. I'm gonna tell you something, John. He had us a good place. Vince had us set up to make a lot of money. I could not. And you know what? I told Jimmy. I said, Jimmy, y'all listen to me for three years straight now. Have I ever dared you wrong? They said, no. I said, look, they got us making a lot of money. I said, let's go there for a year. We'll come back to Charlotte. I said, we have nobody else to work with here. We done went through everybody. And they didn't listen. They wouldn't listen to me, buddy. Now, don't get me wrong. I've had a bunch of apologies since then. (laughs) Any regrets in this business? I mean, not really that per se, but any regrets on your part? I have one regret, John. Mm-hmm. My only regret, and don't get me wrong, I've done a lot of stuff in the ring, probably, you know, straight to a few guys that I shouldn't have, that messed up and almost hurt me or something like that. But the one regret I do have is not sitting Bobby and Jimmy down and say, look, guys, I'm leaving. I'm gone. I've got me a place in Denver. That's my only regret. I should have told them. Now, as far as you and your legacy, to me, one of the greatest like in-ring wrestlers, just ring general, one of the greatest tag team wrestlers, tag specialist, you know, whatever you want to say. But what do you think is the kind of your stamp on the business or your lasting legacy on the business? What, what do you think people would think of like when when the doors close and it's all said and done? People think back and look back at Lover Boy Dennis Condry. I want to remember me as somebody went out there. And I took any bump that anybody wanted to give me. I taught people, I taught a lot of people things that was right and wrong. And I just want to remember it as a hard worker in the ring. That's all I asked for. And as far as social media plugs and all that kind of stuff, do you do, you do social media at all as far as the, any sort of like Facebook, Twitter, you know, whatever it is? Do you have any plugs? No, my wife does all that. I don't do it. I, you know, I've got a big old it's a big house here in Huntsville. And i got a big yard in the front, big yard in the back. And I like to be outside, but she does it all. Thank you, John. I appreciate it, buddy. Thanks for listening to the two-man power trip of wrestling. 
what the world is downloading.